Welcome one and all to the week that really was for the week ending the 27th of October 2023. My name is John McGurk. I am joined as ever by my friend and colleague Sarah Ryan. Sarah, you and I were out on Tuesday night. We had uh, we were at a dinner. We got a little bit drunk. Uh, have you recovered? Yes, I'm fine there, but I was pretty wrecked yesterday, John. Tuesday oh. night, you know, it's not for the faint heart, it is it? No. Especially when you have three kids to get up to. At least you're able to just, you know, live your life, drink some water. I still had to make school lunches and, you know, deal. So, yeah. yes, I went to bed early last night, put it that way. <laughs> me too. Anyway, uh, it's good to have you with me as always. Know that we didn't break you. Um, we're joined this week. We have a guest. Um, she's somebody I've admired from a distance for a very long time. She's one of those Irish people who went to the UK, made it quite big. I first ca- came across her on BBC Question Time. She is uh, also uh, an excellent writer. She is the founder and, I think, editor of The Conservative Woman uh, in the UK. But she has graced us with a return to our shores. Uh, I'm delighted to introduce Miss Laura Perrins. Um, hey, how are you, Laura? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, John. Hey, Sarah. It's great to have you with us. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of things on the show this week. We're going to talk about the Middle East again. We're going to talk about um, the very big news that it's no longer race to say Ireland is full. We may come to uh, some brief comments about the synod that's ongoing in, in Rome um, at the moment at the end of the show. But I'm going to start with the Middle East because it's the one that everyone's been talking about for the last couple of months. Laura, you've been based in the UK for the last couple of years, um, maybe maybe 10 years or more. Uh, you're now back in Ireland. Have you noticed a change in the tone of coverage from one jurisdiction to another? Yes, definitely. I mean, not that I'm plugging. I did, I did write about this on on the Substack. Um, I think you know. Look, I, I think the whole situation is um, you know genuinely tragic. I don't think anybody can look at some of the images coming out now. You know, from Gaza and not not be genuinely upset at what's happening there in terms of the hospitals and the children. But but certainly. Um, initially after the initial attack, which I've referred to as a pogrom, um, I think the reaction, you know, the, the inability of people to condemn what was clearly just outright evil, you know, so the, the details which I don't think we could even get into in a podcast, mm-hmm. and killing women, pregnant women, killing children, um, you know, violating, violating young girls is so horrific. And if your first reaction to that isn't anything other than, this is this is so evil um and, and should be condemned utterly then you know you you need to you need to take a long hard look at yourself in the mirror and i had no time for any of this nonsense about well you got to think about the context and you got to think about the climate and you know why if you find yourself trying to justify you know the killing of babies in fact at twitter they started getting into an argument as to just how were those babies murdered Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I, I think I think you genuinely need a period of reflection. Like you should go off and 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 meditate or go to mass or whatever it is people do these days, and ask yourself how you got to that position because there is only real one reaction to that, and and that was you know outright condemnation. Um, I definitely took issue with nobody else picked up on it, but I think that president, you know, because there was a uh, dual dual citizens, there were Irish citizens killed in that, the young, the, a young girl who was killed in it and uh, who was murdered in it. And, you know, the president issues a statement and basically said, you know, he, 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 he does, he does condemn it. And then sort of right at the end, right at the very end, he said that somebody obviously couldn't resist putting in, and this shows how wrong it is to attack, you know, civilians in, in, in conflict areas. And I'm thinking, no, no, there wasn't a conflict. There was no conflict at the concerts. 
You know, they didn't just decide to run this concert in the middle of a war zone. And, and Gaza it hasn't been occupied or ruled by the Israelis for um, what, years now. There was no, but, but of course, they can't just condemn it and then and then move on. They always have to put something else in. And yeah, I mean, the, I, I think, t- John, I have to admit, I don't actually watch the Irish news at all. Um, I still follow the English news a lot more. But from what I could pick up on Twitter and, and some of the radio things, you're like, this is definitely a different country to the UK. I mean, it, it, I do think there's a lot of anti-Semitism around. Um, and there, there just aren't that many Jewish journalists here. In fact, I don't think there's anybody Whereas in, you know, in the Times of London, you would have Melanie Phillips, who would be considered very conservative, over to Hugo Rifkin, who's essentially a, a secular, maybe even an atheist Jew, which you can be. Obviously, you can't be an atheist Christian. Um, and you have Daniel Finkelstein, who would be in the middle. Um, but the lack of you know, Jewish journalists um, has been, I think, very very obvious. I think the only body, the only person who who is making of sort of stature is obviously Alan Alan Shatter. He's had to he's had to take to Twitter and and I I, I think he is Jewish. I assume I think he is, yes. Um, yeah, a former Irish Justice and Equality Defence Minister. So I think he's probably the only person who's Jewish in whatever you want to call it, public life or the establishment in Ireland. And it's it's really telling. You lose you lose a lot, you know, without having having those people there. Mm. I think for me, uh, it, it, you know, we were talking about the justifications and the excuses and the context. When you start talking about, and obviously the, the Israelis held an event for 100 journalists this week where they, they basically made them watch the video of what happened, mm. as, as was recorded on the body cams of the attackers. Mm. But when you get to the point where you're saying, oh, you have to look at it in the context of the wider conflict, then you're basically saying that there's a context in which that might be acceptable. Yes. There's, there's a context in which I might kill a baby. Yeah. Um, not me, not not John McGurk, I, but I is in the person making that statement about context. There's a, there is a context where that kind of thing becomes uh, almost, you know, if not excusable, then kind of, you know, you are excusing it. You're saying, well, it's happening in a context. Um, and it remains one example of the coverage here that I, I just can't get my head around is that that the people for profit representatives are on television every day of the week, and they made a statement at the very beginning of this conflict saying that there was you know no one wants quoting it verbatim they said no one wants to see hostages taken but you have to remember that many of these people were settlers. Now, <laughs> these attacks all happened in a part of Israel that was inside its 1948 borders. Uh, yes. So before any of the the before any of the expansion of Israel, so what they're basically saying is that every Israeli is a settler, every Israeli is a legitimate target, um, and no one has asked them about that. I don't know whether it's because of a lack of knowledge or a lack of interest in the topic. So I mean, I think I think that the difference with the UK is massive, but also with the rest of the the world. Sarah, are you trying to commit? No, I'm just like uh, kind of in agreement and just laughing at the absurdity of it. I mean, I just feel like you know. If you're if you're if if you're saying yes, this is terrible, and the word you're introducing the word "but" at any point in the sentence, you are defending it on a certain level. Like any, I mean, a lot of the 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 explanation and going back to the point about babies and what happened to babies, like I I felt like trying something at the TV one day and saying, well, by that, like theoretically, war crimes don't exist, and they're not possible if if there's a but to that because. Like you could say, well, in the context of the war, you know, these soldiers went into these, uh, you know, private homes and killed all these people, but they were hungry and it was in the context of the war. So it's okay. No, war crimes are war crimes are war crimes. Like there has to be a limit to things that people, you know, accept. And and 
there just seems to be a kind of a a a, a willingness to you know defend the indefensible for one side that doesn't exist for the other and i i just think the whole thing is horrific i kind of took a bit of a break this week from um twitter just because i kept getting videos come up on my feed that were just so horrifying you know just I, I, like there has to be a limit to what you can kind of what affects you too deeply for you know days afterwards so i've given it a, a bit of a break but i think oh. that it's it's true that there is you know like and it's nothing to do with sides or whatever but you know laura's absolutely right that there is no you know there's never been any real jewish journalist in ireland there's a there's a there's an approach there's a position that ireland holds and that's the position and you know you see that in loads of other ways you never really hear the like republican side when it comes to american um, elections in ireland you know it's just there's always a there's a very much a one-sided thing and that appears in loads of ways not just on the israel-palestine conflict but on in loads of other political you know worldwide issues we have one side we have what we think and I say we in, in you know, inverted commas, and that's the position and that's it. Well, well I, I have two observations on that before I go back to Laura, which are firstly, like, you're completely, you know, I've said for years that Irish journalists are far more interested in holding British politicians to account than Irish politicians to account. I mean, they'll ask Boris Johnson when he was around the most tough questions, but put them mm. in front of Irish leaders and like it'll be. And, and, and you know, what do you think, Mr. Th- Mr. Taoiseach or Mr. Connachton? And there's a there's a there's a deference given to the Irish view that is never given to the views of of the wider West. But secondly, um, there you know I was talking to somebody this week on Capitol Hill. Now, not somebody senior on Capitol Hill. This person is a, is a staffer on Capitol Hill of Irish descent, who said, "Make no mistake, there is a huge amount of eyebrows being raised in the U.S. at the Irish position, specifically the president's statement." Um, and it is not being warmly received at all. Um, and it, from a purely selfish point of view, he said, I can tell you because I work here. This guy, by the way, works on the Democratic side of the aisle, not the Republican side of the aisle. Said, said Irish people have no idea of the international damage that's being done by their to their reputation by the country's stance on this, which is just seen as odd. In no other Western country in the world is there a serious debate in the parliament about expelling the Israeli ambassador. There is one in Ireland, and that, and that that is raising eyebrows. But at the same time, we are told, Laura, on this podcast that we are too one-sided. I got a couple of comments about this last week that Sarah and I are far too pro-Israeli. We're yeah. paid, paid shills. We've been to Israel, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I want to put it to you, like the you know, the average Irish person, because they watch RTE, um, is seeing on their televisions every evening footage of blown up buildings in Gaza, um, parents and, and older people crying as they carry lifeless bodies from rubble and so on. So, so I mean, they are getting that picture of the conflict. So in one way, it's not necessarily surprising. And are, wouldn't it be almost unusual if they were being presented with that picture if they weren't pro-Palestinian? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the I mean, we can get to the Israeli response now, uh, or like, you, know, you know, in a minute. But I, I think that the issue, the issue really was, the, it's what was their reaction immediately upon hearing of you know 1400 jewish people being killed on one of their most uh, holy holidays it, i'm not talking you know 2 weeks down the line and the immediate reaction was still very pro palestinian yes you know so I, I, and so that that to me has has exposed them for what they were i mean i think you just unfortunately to go back to the basic point in that anti-semitism is the oldest hatred it's very per- pervasive 
it's very deep and it's everywhere. Look, it's on the right. We know it's obviously can be on the far right. It's on, it's clearly on the far left. There's been so many liberal left or liberal left Jews. Um, there was a Jewish historian who's come out now and, and said how disappointed he is at the global left. Um, again, Hugo Rifkin uh, had tweeted saying he feels things are very different. These are both very left wing Jews. There's a lot of anti-Semitism now on the left. I think we can definitely put to bed the idea that the left are the nice guys and you know that they've they've always they just want they just want peace. No, you're you're defending the killing of babies. Um you can take a seat now. Um it look there's 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 obviously Christianity was a huge purveyor of anti-Semitism, um, certainly laid the foundations for the Holocaust. There's absolutely no getting away from that. But unfortunately, although I think anti-Semitism has certainly faded in Christianity, it seems to have been replaced now by a lot of Islamic anti anti-Semitism. And it, it's it's always there. I don't think it's ever going away. Um, there's a whole book written as to why what it's literally called Why the Jews, you know, why have they suffered so much um down the centuries? It's written by Dennis Prager and it's absolutely worth it's it's not that long, it's worth reading. Um so it's always there and, and these events happen, it really exposes it. You know, mm. what is your initial reaction? Again, if your initial reaction is an outright condemnation, you need to take you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. I don't need to be an expert in the Middle East to know that what happened in the kibbutz was completely and utterly wrong. Yeah, mm. I don't need five degrees in that. And it's also telling how everybody likes to start their Middle Eastern journey in history if from 1948, right? Let's mm. all start in 1948 because don't start at 39, between 39 and 45, say, because things were a little bit awkward there in Europe. You mm. know, um, mm-hmm. you know, you again, Europeans, you, you you really you just don't get much of a say on this. The reason the only I mean, Zionism was around before before 48. But let's remember the reason why it actually happens, because mm. you killed, you murdered two out of every three Jews in Europe. That's mm-hmm. why people said maybe we should. Yeah, actually, maybe they should get their own land because, you know what, we weren't that welcoming. I, so I find it, it's just very telling. I find that a lot of the anti-Semitism I encounter casually and I do encounter anti-Semitism casually amongst people who I don't think are anti-Semites. As in, I well, don't think I, I, no, let yeah. me let me explain my point. I think a lot of anti-Semitism is unconscious. So, for example, you it's mentioned Alan, yeah. you mentioned Alan Shatter a few moments ago. The number of people like sensible, like not politically politically engaged people, but the but sort of sensible people who will say something along the lines of, "Well, of, of course he's for Israel. Uh, sure, he's a Jew. Like he owes them their loyalty." Like yeah. this assumption that if you're a Jewish person, you're almost more loyal to Israel than you are to the country that you live in, born were born mm. in, were a minister in. That that assumption is made, uh, and it's only. I mean, no one ever thinks that Joe Biden is more loyal to Ireland because he calls himself an Irish American than he is to the U.S. But um, but 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 people will at the same time Irish people middle of the road people will say oh the Israeli lobby is very powerful in the U.S. but by which they mean Jews, and when you ask them about it that's what they mean and they, they don't even think of that as anti-Semitism they would never say it about an Irish person or an Italian American oh they're more loyal to Italy they're more more loyal to Ireland it's only ever said of Jewish people and I think a lot of it is it it I, I don't want to say it's well intended it's it's just not intended it's 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 a thing that's been sort of inculcated in people that they they they, they believe this and, they, and, they, and when you say to them that that's anti-semitic in the most gentle way they react really badly oh i'm not an anti-semite how could you suggest that but you're, you're, you're yeah no, but look i, I 
I mean, it can be overt and, and it's it's definitely um, there's definitely a bias there. I mean, in, in terms of doing the other side, I mean, again, it's but it's not football teams because there are so many, you know, there are so many civilians being killed. Um, and I, I certainly have have written that I think Israel is, well, let's say, come in, is, is getting close now or probably is. It's hard to look at the images coming out of Gaza. You know, they have put it under siege for two weeks. They have, they have, um, they've obviously been intensively launching airstrikes against them. So I have said, I think this is collective punishment. Again, two weeks after the fact, not immediately after the the horrors that were coming out from the kibbutz. You know, I, this is the thing. You can you 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 can think both that what happened um, was horrifying and completely unjustified. And then you can look at Israelis, the Israeli reaction. Um, and I, I think, unfortunately for them, they probably are losing the propaganda war. Um, you, you know, it, it, but they, they may well not care about that because, you know, they, they, they prob- I, they, they'll definitely be in a bunker mentality and think, you know, screw everybody else. They've, they've made their their position clear we're going to annihilate Hamas whatever way we have to hmm. there's a degree of that when you talk to them all right so but Sarah, isn't it true I mean they are losing the propaganda war it's very hard to like I I'm, I'm instinctively pro-israeli and it's 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 one of the problems of being pro-israeli is that you you end up being held to account for every single thing that the Israelis ever do you can't just like I, I'm pro-american no one ever makes me um depend what happened in, in in that village in Vietnam where they burned those poor young girls with napalm? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. My life and um, or yeah, or the various massacres that happened there. I mean, the individual human beings are capable of doing terrible wrongs, even when the side they're on is broadly the right side. Um, and it feels to me like, but the the Israelis don't have any room for maneuver at all on this one. Um, they're, they're 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 clearly, as far as I can tell, not just in Ireland but across the broader West. They're, they're losing the sort of battle of proportionality in inverted commas. Yeah, and I mean, I think as well, like, you know, what's also important to note is it, it's not working. You know, like this heavy-handed, you know, bombing the shit out of everything, you know, under the under the um, plan of uh, eradicating Hamas, it's not going to work. So I can kind of understand that the... the you know the feeling, and I and, and I think that like if anybody, if people are really honest with themselves, you know, if there was a terrorist attack in their country where you know a couple of hundred people were taken hostage and you know thousands were murdered like that, they'd want their country to you know <laughs> dole out some type of revenge and go and get those hostages back or whatever. But you know the kind of leveling Gaza and killing everyone in their wake in that in that isn't is a isn't going to work it's not going to do anything to eradicate Hamas in my opinion and also you know it it loses them it loses them support and it loses them you know you you you, you like you're inundated as you say with videos of of children dead children and and you know it's not it's it's not going to endear them to anybody whatsoever and it's not going to work well, look, we talked about it. We'll definitely be talking about it in future weeks. Um, but I, I want to move on because we, we, we've other topics to cover. And I think it's really important to cover this next one because Laura wasn't around um, in Ireland for, for most of the last couple of years. So she maybe won't be uh, as aware as you and I are, Sarah, that it has been for some time now an absolute far-right talking point to suggest that Ireland is full 
and that we have taken in more refugees than we accommodate and that our housing crisis where most people can't get homes is probably related to immigration. And then all of a sudden this week, um, the government turned into far-right activists. Um, the There was a massive row at Cabinet. The, the word came out, Ireland is full. We can't take any more people. What's going to be done about this and what minister is to blame? I mean, it's the most predictable thing that's ever happened. I'll ask Sarah first before I go to Laura, but but, but like it, it's, it's just, what gets me is like, Everybody knew this was going to happen, except apparently the people running the country. How, how did that happen? Well, same way, same way. Everything always happens. Like in Ireland, it's 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 you know hip to be one way, and we were all like, you were literally far right considered to be. We spoke about it on this podcast. People in the north inner city who were who were protesting. Do you remember? And they were infiltrated by the far right. And it was, you know, just terrible. And we're seeing far right, the elements of far right growing in Ireland. It's so scary and terrifying. Um, and now politicians are just allowed to say, casually say exactly. I mean, they could might as well be reading the script from that, that protest themselves now. But that's OK. And it's 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 the kind of like nothing to see here, move along, you know, kind of attitude of, of changing the entire narrative around something that really grinds my gears honestly and uh, like the Irish media and the government have been doing this for a long time but particularly in the last couple of years on a number of so-called you know far right or alternatively woke issues they did just change the narrative overnight and act like nothing ever happened it's unbelievable and it's so obvious this is going to happen it's a natural you know it's a natural conclusion or a natural progression on on, on what's been happening vis-a-vis immigration in Ireland for the last couple of years and now all of a sudden we have ministers on the radio. I was listening the other day talking about how oh, or, or during the summer we came really close to just having absolutely no availability whatsoever for refugees. Yeah. <laughs> but now, like, yeah. And now, but so now we need to think about, yeah, but obviously, like, like it's just, a, it's the kind of shameless, like shamelessness of pretending that this wasn't obvious, inevitable, going to happen and that you call people names for warning you about it six months ago. Laura, you uh, you were obviously in the UK during COVID. Did you notice the same thing happening there where, where and I know you were you were like me in the sort of initially be cautious, but then lockdown became insane camp. Did you know, did you have a similar moment where all of a sudden all the anti-lockdown people, um, you know, went from being completely fringe extremists who wanted to kill everyone's grandmother in their beds to all of a sudden actually... <laughs> Um, lockdown is over now, and it makes no sense to continue with the lockdown. And and the, and the, it's like the entire entire establishment, both in the UK and Ireland, just flipped a switch where the extreme suddenly became the mainstream, and no one ever said, "Well, this was extreme two minutes ago." Well, I was one of the few anti-lockdown people from the beginning. Now, John, I think oh. you might have had a dispute on that. Actually, yes, yeah, we um, did. Actually, I, I don't actually no, even like no. to think about lockdown because it still it still gives me the, I, the trauma. I, I forgot but, about that. Laura and I fell out for a couple of weeks. <laughs> with that, so uh, I, I'd forgotten about it. I like I, I like. Laura, so we kind of, I forgot that we felt a lot better, but we did. Yeah. Yeah, no. The um, look the, the the immigration thing. I I I uh, I wrote a f- I, I wrote a fair amount of this in uh, for the conservative woman in, in terms of um, just the, how how these politicians and indeed left wing journalists can keep again these two ideas in the in their head at the same time because the Guardian in particular, I, I would kind of focus on them. They would run endless stories about the housing crisis over there, which is essentially well, it's probably worse than it is here. You know, people living in appalling conditions, um, mold. You know, a child died from mold exposure over there. So even if you do have a council house, the chances are there's black mold. You know, growing up your walls. Uh, 
and mm-hmm. um, people I think living in caravans uh, or just in general you know how poor uh, public services are there, are there in terms of, in particular, obviously, the NHS. And then the next page, they'd say, um, yeah, there's no problem taking in an extra million refugees. And you're like, no, no, but you've just told me on the previous five pages that the, for the people who are here, they're already on the edge. So I don't, where are you going to put the million people? Are you Have you got more homes with mold in them? Are you going to put them in the moldy homes? Are you, are you taking the people that are in the moldy homes out? Like it, it, none of it made any sense whatsoever because you know th- this sounds bad. It, it's it's people like ourselves are probably not that um that affected you know by 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 huge immigration numbers. But I I don't feel that's right to say well I'm okay, you know I I'm fine because I know that your fellow citizen down the road will not necessarily be okay because their services will be squeezed or their housing situation will be squeezed. You know, there is only, I mean, the thing about the UK and Ireland are, you know, and it isn't economically, it isn't sort of a zero sum game. We, we know, we know that, but there is a finite amount of land and, you know, nobody seems to sort of at least accept that unless you're going to start building skyscrapers. So there really is a limit in terms of how much you can build and things like that. You know, so the UK, you might say, well, just build more more homes. And they certainly build a lot more homes here than they do in the UK, I think even proportionately. But there is actually a finite amount of land. You know, and then then if you cover everything with housing, um, then how does that fit into your whole climate change agenda? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot of contradictions um, I think with with the whole politicians and 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 well, you, you know you really find them out and you say well you can bring in bring in the the look offering UK Ukrainian refugees um, refuge was was obviously uh, you can understand that because they are literally offering them safety okay they had their immediate need was for a safe haven was literally for refuge but that's not the case with most, well, with a lot of the immigration in in the UK and maybe some of it here. And the problem is, is when people constantly, you know, conflate the two. And of course, if you do just take in thousands and thousands of economic migrants, it means that when you need to offer, you know, your Ukrainian refugee actual refuge, you know, an actual safe haven from the bombing, then that option, that safe, that safe haven may no longer be there. Um, So... uh, yeah, the, 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 there, as I said, there's a lot of contradictions on the left. And, and again, you, you, I mean, I don't know exactly where uh, a lot of the refugees were housed. I know some of it is very, very temporary housing. Um, but I, I mean, I could be wrong on this, but well, I they don't kept, They kept think... the tents up at the electric picnic. Yeah, but they're uh, never, they very rarely go to Donnybrook. Are they in Donnybrook or... No. Um, no. Yeah, are they in... So they're not in Kensington or, or the Cotswolds. You, it's a theme. You know, it's not, uh, they won't be in Dorky or Hoth or Fox Rock. I could be wrong, but I, I find then not only are you bringing in people when your own services for your own own people, be them Irish born or, or, or not, um, are stretched, but you also inflict them on communities least able to cope with it. You know, so if you're so pro-immigration, you're so pro-refugee, that, like, that's fine. Um you know, bring them into the to the to the Dorkies and the Black Rock, and and go and do your polls and see who's most pro-immigration and most etc. And then then um, 
you know, I'm sure you've got the resources. So off you yeah. go, but build build the towns and build the villages. But don't don't necessarily put them on communities that, as I said, are are least often least able to 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 accommodate them. And then when they dare to raise their voice, yeah, call them all racists and and far right. Yeah, you know, but, you, you made a point there. I want to follow up on about, about climate change, which I, I always think is one that that baffles me because every week now in 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 one of the newspapers, be it the Irish Times, be it the Guardian, wherever it is, you you will find an article from somebody um, along the lines of uh, the the people who are not having children to save the planet, and it'll be like it's almost always sort of young women who are like, no, it's we 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 have to reduce the population to reduce the damage being done to the environment. But economic migration in particular is the most devastating kind for the climate because you're taking people from third world countries where they're living on a couple of dollars a day and not consuming much and bringing them into a Western economy where all of a sudden they're demanding more plastic bags, demanding more home heating. Like they they, they, they actually do far more damage to the... Like we're always told Western societies are much more harmful to the climate, but we're moving people into Western societies from societies that are relatively agrarian. So... I'm not making a moral case. It's I think it's more. I think there is a moral case for lifting people's incomes up, but it's totally at variance with what these same people say about the climate. Um, it, it's well, I like, think it's it's another contradiction, isn't it? I mean, it's the same. Thing. You know, you're you're on the one hand, your 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 public services and your housing system is creaking. Let's bring in thousands of refugees. Um, the West is fundamentally racist and oppressive. Um, let's bring in lots of people who are going to suffer from that racism. It seems, although they don't themselves seem to care. Yeah, uh, the w- Western societies uh, use too much energy and and call are are causing too much carbon. Let's get lots more people to adopt the Western. Uh, um, you know, the Western style of living. Again, it, it's just one of the, it's just another crazy contradiction um, that they have and never, never very rarely have to justify. Hmm. Sarah, do you think there's a political reason aside from anything else for this, from, for, for the U-turn? I mean, like, are they feeling the heat on the doorsteps over this issue? Any insights there? I mean, on, on immigration or is it just literally incompetence where they realise they literally don't have any more houses uh, and no one told them? Can it be both? Um <laughs> <laughs> like I wouldn't like I wouldn't like to rule out incompetence you know I'd say it's definitely a mixture of both I mean anecdotally I've heard that there was you know you know and by the way this is very constituency by constituency because as Laura said depending on what constituency you're in that there's definitely a, a very big differential in how many how much um how many refugees your constituency is expected or is being asked to accommodate but some definitely were feeling the heat in a big way particularly in rural and then in some parts of Dublin um, north inner city places like that who were feeling the heat and constituency level um, for this kind of thing so I think that absolutely for sure there was an element of political you know worry there and anxiety about what this would mean for individual politicians but I also think that ultimately you know like we have a terrible habit um, when it comes to lots of things in Ireland of you know trying to be the kind of best boy in the class in Europe and we've had for months the debate about this has been a lot of hand wringing from the government talking about how you know there's a we're we're mandated to accept a certain amount of refugees and you know that's just the end of it and now all of a sudden that seems to have just disappeared as an argument and now it's just a a, a, a you know resource and and space and availability issue um I think that definitely they you know they weren't 
there was no planning involved. There was no thinking about where, you know, how this would run long term. I don't think in the initial stages of the war in Ukraine in particular that they had any expe- expectation that this would go on this long, probably. But um, I think now um, there's a combination of, oh, right. Well, you know, and, and and by the way, like there's a huge amount of of hotels and stuff like that that are probably, you know, the summer. I think the summer like didn't go well for a lot of businesses in in towns in Ireland from, mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking about restaurants, taxis, tourist things and whatever. And a lot of, you know, hotels were full and that had a knock-on effect on local communities in terms of their tourism, which they rely on heavily. And I think that's starting to kind of show up now, September, October, November. You know, you really start to see the result of that because a huge amount of places outside of Dublin, you know, make like 60 and 70% of their income for the year in those months. And then if they realise that they haven't, that knock-on is being felt. So I think TDs be feeling that, you know, local economies are feeling it and just the general, you know, incompetence of, like you can't just indefinitely house people in hotels. You can't indefinitely take a stream of people in and expect that the, you know, that the 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 whole house won't start to creak um for a variety of reasons. So I think it's a mixture. But um like don't underestimate the incompetence, but also don't underestimate TD's ability to suddenly wake up um when they realize that they've gotten you know a lot of emails or a lot of kind of comments from their constituents. Yeah, canvassing canvassing will have yeah. really recently started properly for the local elections which are in June. Uh, so so they, they they'll have gotten a new fresh batch of feedback from the doors recently as well. Exactly. Which might be a factor. Uh, Laura, before we move on to another topic, I want to ask you because you 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 you've obviously recently come back from the UK. In the UK they don't really have this far right panic. In Ireland if you read the Irish newspapers, listen to the Irish radio, you'll be convinced that out there Beyond Radio Land, there is a mass of people working in secret to bring about a fascist dictatorship in Ireland. But the far right is, is on the march that on almost every issue. I mean, there was a briefing in the Oireachtas for TDs this week from an NGO called the Hope and Courage Collective, where they, they were trying to make people aware of far right infiltration tactics. And you know, ripped media is often referred to these by these people as a far right news platform. And, you know, what do you make of that? Because, I mean, in the UK, I think it's fair to say people like Sarah and, Sarah and I would be relatively mainstream, wouldn't we? And these concerns would be relatively mainstream in the political system. Why do you think they're suddenly called far right when they're expressed here at home? Well, oh no, there's, there's definitely been a far right panic in, 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 in the UK. Um, you know, obviously the main the main driver was was Brexit. But I mean... <laughs> The other, the other, so this is also going back to our first topic, although, you know, you may not want me to do this. This is what I find so infuriating mm-hmm. about this whole um, Israeli conflict in that for, uh, well, I don't know, maybe five years, perhaps a bit longer. You know, we have been terrorized, I think, both in England and Ireland that and, 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 the, and the you know, a lot of the voters have been terrorized that if you vote for something that the mainstream don't want, um, you know, you're a fascist, you're a Nazi. If you're not on board with the transgender bathroom situation, um, you know, you're a Nazi. If you're not on board with a complete open border situation, you're a Nazi. Um, a- any of this, you know, so these these terms are obviously bandied around to, to shut down debate because most people obviously don't want to be Nazis. So we have been, as I said, essentially terrorized by this for complete nonsense, right? Complete garbage, as Douglas Murray would say. There's a clear, there's a serious supply, uh, supply and demand issue with the whole Nazi thing. They they go and find, they try to find them, but they're never there. Okay, and then 
an actual attack on action, an actual genocidal attack happens on Jews. Uh, and the, but that's the, you know, there are no Nazis, it seems. Yeah, people have spent, know, it, spent the whole time yeah. over the 1930s suddenly. Yeah, the, exactly. Know. exactly. Yeah, Gary Lineker and his like, oh, this, this rhetoric, you know, because again, because, because Suella Braverman thinks that perhaps it's not a great idea to have illegal immigrants coming over in dinghies over the channel. Oh, it's getting a lot like the 1930s. Did we hear anything from him? After an act, and as I said, an actual genocidal attack on, on, on Jews? No, no, surprisingly silence. He may well have said something since, but uh, the silence from the usual people, as I said, who try to shut down debate, legitimate debate, either on immigration or, as I said, any of the, the woke, the woke nonsense. Immediately, they get out their nasty card. They get out their far right card. Um, they slap it on the table. But when you see an actual attack that would fit into that kind of uh, um, identity, it, it, it you know, uh, no, 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 no. Let's talk about something else. Well, I mean, look, it's just the usual. It's just used to 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 um, to shut down the veil. I mean, the idea that, as you said, there's sort of Nazis or far right people hiding under every every you know every second every second. Uh, so in Ireland is it's it's just laughable, you know. It's well, just, well, there's that, uh, there's that, and then the same people who tell you about the dangerous extremists on the far right will march through, and I mean literally the same people because you know we had left wing TDs in Dublin last weekend marching through the city centre with the not they weren't carrying it, but they marched alongside the flags of Hezbollah, yes, um, and the, the People's Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which is uh, affiliated to another terrorist group. So, so the the ex, the the extremism is only ever noticed in one direction, and when it is noticed in that direction, it is greatly exaggerated. I think. Anyway, speaking of extremism, Laura, are you one of these people who disagrees with Mary McAleese that there should be women priests? Oh God! Oh God! Yeah. Oh right. Well, yeah. I know. No, I I did. As I said, I did write. I write a lot. I wrote a piece in the Casa Carol about McAleese a while ago. I mean, she is your crazy aunt at Christmas dinner, where you kind of you want to move away, and you're kind of you kind you know she's on she's on the um she's on the soapbox. I mean, I like a soapbox myself, obviously, but she is that crazy aunt, um, who just won't shut up. Look, the thing is, I know I shouldn't use labels, but she is your classic boomer boomer woman who she's vastly out of touch, by the way, with, with, with a lot of actual mass-going Catholics. And they, they they ran a survey a while ago. And I, said, I did, I covered it in the Catholic Herald. It was, of course, buried by the mainstream media, mainstream Catholic media. Um, and unsurprisingly, young Catholic women um, are a lot more conservative than um, the people that Mary McAleese pretends to um, to represent. No, women priests are just the start of it. The, the you know just the absolute worst because you'd only end up with people like Mary McAleese up there on the altar. That's the that's the problem, right? Because the the traditional Catholics will you know in general won't want to do that. So it'll it'll just be feminism mark too. But you know you can have if you want all that. You can have all that. That's what annoys me. You know, the the, the Catholic Church is the one is 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 they they haven't quite yet kowtowed to whatever the rest of the secular mainstream has. Look, if you want to do all that, you've got plenty of options out there. You know, read the Guardian, go to C of E, do what you need to do. But you know, you don't. You, I, I don't see them uh, saying we should have you know female imams. How's how's the president McAleese on on that? She she started lobbying that, or she maybe she'd say that's not her lane, um, you know. And I, I, I 
so it, it's just again it's just unnecessary and uh she 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 thinks that the current teaching the current idea of having only male priests um is out of touch but if she if she looked at certainly the the polling that i saw that i wrote about in the classic herald um she would find that she her position is out of touch in particular with um with younger women who are far more conservative on, on these issues than um than she was yeah i'm not a, I'm not a particularly religious person but it just strikes me as as very strange that this i mean i'm, I'm watching the synod in rome I, the pope francis sarah always reminds me of michael d higgins like I, I see that the, like if they had been born in each other's countries, their career paths would have basically been the same. I mean, the, 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 the basically men of the same generation with, I think, basically the same attitudes and everything, except Pope Francis is in the church and Michael D. Higgins is in politics. Like there's there's a there's, there's kind of like it, it's Laura used the word boomer, but it does seem to be that, that child of the 60s generation is still hanging around and in charge of everything, including now the Vatican. Uh, or am I just being conspiratorial? Well, maybe, but uh, I mean. From from my point of view, I mean, I think you know to, that what Laura said is is correct. But also, I just find that if if I take a step back as a not particularly religious person myself, that like I just find Mary Mac the whole Mary MacLee spiel about you know religion constantly, constantly, constantly going on is real is a kind of boring but also a huge missed opportunity i mean listen there's loads majority of things about mary robinson i don't agree with but you couldn't you couldn't but agree that she's you know made an issue made herself the center of and put herself at the center of an issue climate change and is active and is doing something about that now you could talk about climate change all day whatever but at least that's her thing whereas i think mary mcleese just really disappointing because in all of the things that she could have championed or all of the issues that she could have you know t- been b- been outspoken on this you know attacking the church every week for some different thing is it i th- i think it's a missed opportunity i think it's boring and i think that it, it's it's that the people who are interested in what she has to say for the most part, don't agree with her, and the people who you know might have listened to her on on another issue just you know never n- aren't interested in whatsoever in what she has to say now. So I think it's kind of a missed opportunity. I mean, I literally, if I see an article featuring Mary McLeese, I know in- instantly that it's going to be some kind of attack on the church in some way. And yeah, well, the, I, the 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 Irish media love her, obviously, but you know, because she's one of the she because of her views, you know, they wouldn't be interested in a conservative woman of of her age, but because yeah. she's always, you know, as you say, constantly criticizing the church. But as I said, she's very unrepresentative. So, in the piece I wrote, if if just broken down by numbers for people who may not be, may not be interested, so remarriage after civil divorce should be allowed. Only forty forty three percent of women aged eighteen to twenty five agreed. For those over the these 70... Are, these, are, these are women who are practicing Catholics. To be yeah, 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 practicing Catholics, yeah. 89% agreed. So there was a, there was a huge gap. Or if we take um, women asked, women need to have freedom of conscience with regard to their sexual and reproductive decisions. And we all know what that means. Broken down by age, 18 to 25 was 50%. Over 70 years was 87%. You know, but it, so, but what I'm saying is, you know, the boomers, look, uh, you've caused enough damage 
Like you, you, you had your chance. You, you did your thing. You've had your chance. You had your revolution in the secular world. Caused enough damage there, uh, but now you know they feel they need to finish off the job. And the few holdouts, the Catholic Church, obviously being one holdout. You know, as I said, it's time. It's time to just just be quiet at Christmas dinner. This is the same thing with the presidential election in America. It would be nice to have a choice, and the choice didn't involve someone who was eligible for the Vietnam draft. You know, yeah. we're done now. Go. Like, yeah. even I would consider myself old on some issues, you know, but they never, they can never stop pushing you, you know, the woke view, the younger view, this is, this is the way to go. But when they have fi- find the few concern, as I said, they were obviously church attending women, um, and their views are, are, are way more conservative than their grandmothers, that gets memory holes. You know, you won't see that poll run in the Irish Times. Yeah, that would have been binned. That would have gone straight to the shredder. Well, I always find it very ironic when I listen to older people talking about the terrible state the world is in, what a disgrace it is. And whose fault is it? Yeah. You were in charge for, for most of the well, time. Well, they're, they're still in charge. I think that's that's the problem. And that's why even, you know, not that I follow popular culture that much, but, you know, every you still get all the, the comebacks and the Rolling Stones are still on concert and Elton John is on his 1500th goodbye concert. And, you know, it doesn't leave any space for for um, for younger artists coming through. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Their legacy is um, is 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 poor. Very poor. On the upside, all the young people today have to look forward to Taylor Swift doing concerts in her eighties. Um, yeah. Well, look, look, that's 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 just the world that we live in. Anyway, um, it's been a pleasure. We've talked for about 45, 50 minutes, but I know you're sort of pushed for time, Laura. So we we'll, we'll leave it there. But we will definitely have you back, especially now that you're back in Ireland. God knows we need more sensible voices. Um, and it's great to have one finally back with us. Um, I am off to Rome next week, uh, not for the Synod, just on a sightseeing tour and a little bit of a break, but hopefully I'll find the time to chat with Sarah nevertheless. Um, But until then, from Sarah, from me, and from Laura, that was the week that really was.